0: Today we are back in our series on 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Let's read God's Word. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4, 5, and 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. As we've been reading, Paul has been responding to the criticisms from some elements of the Corinthian church, which are calling into question the legitimacy of his apostleship. And in response, in the first, the three verses right before this in particular, it's clear that Paul is not insecure in his apostleship. But very confident that he indeed has been called to be an apostle. And here in verse 4 to 6, he comments on this confidence that he has. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And then he goes on and makes a few comments that says some things about the letter and the spirit. We're going to talk about those next week. But this morning we're going to focus on what he says here about confidence. And there are basically three things that Paul says about confidence in this passage. Number one... That as a minister of the New Covenant, Paul is confident. And the second of all, he says that his confidence isn't self-confidence. It is confidence, in other words, he doesn't place his confidence in himself. But, number three, Paul's confidence comes from Christ. He's confident in the Lord's power to work through his weakness. So, Paul makes it very clear. He is not sufficient in himself, but he has been made sufficient by Christ. Now, there are two theological truths that are behind the things that Paul says here. Behind his statement that he is not sufficient in himself is the fact that sinners can't do anything. Jesus said this. As, the bran- as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Abides in the trunk. Abides in the stem. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For apart from me you can do nothing. John 15, 4 and 5. So we can't do anything of any Value or eternal good if we're not connecting if, if it's not from God and his life flowing into us and through us Romans 7.18 for I know, Paul says that nothing good dwells in me I know that nothing good dwells in me that is, in my flesh for I have the desire to do what's right but not the ability to carry it out. And finally, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And in this passage he says, you see, you can do a lot of stuff, some of it very impressive stuff. But it all amounts to nothing if you're not empowered and moved by the love of God. We are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. So that's the first theological truth, that we can't do anything on oursel- in ourselves. But the second statement, the second, the theological truth that's behind Paul's statement that he is in Christ sufficient to be a minister of the new covenant is the fact that Christ has sent his Holy Spirit by whom his people are, are empowered to fulfill his call of them in the world. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples just before he left. Stay here in Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see numerous places where Paul experienced this power in his ministry. Philippians 4.13, for instance, is a well-known one where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then in Colossians 1.29, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we have these two theological truths. One about man and our inability. And one about God's power that has been placed upon his people. And these two theological truths that are the background of what Paul is saying are very important in our lives. We are just as incapable as Paul to do any good in ourselves. Apart from Jesus, we cannot bear any good fruit. And yet, God has given us the same spirit he gave to Paul and to the other apostles to empower us to do his will in this world. So we also can fulfill our calling in the world with confidence. Not in ourselves, but in him. Listen to Ephesians 3.20. Another familiar verse Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, it's one thing to understand that God is able to do great things even to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask or think. But notice here that it's not merely Referring to God's power out there doing great things. It's referring to God's power in us. According to the power at work within us. That he can do all things. These great unimaginable things. Though our weakness and our inability are deep and profound... In no way are they deeper or more profound than the Lord's power at work in us through his spirit. You see, there are two potential errors here. And either one can trip us up. The first one is adopting the world's way of thinking about confidence. So that it's all about me. I believe in myself. You can do anything you set your mind to. Follow your dreams. You can make them happen. There's a source of power deep inside of you which can conquer all the opposition you face. This is just the bread and butter of what you hear from the society around us today. The last thing the world wants to face is human inability inability to do any good in ourselves and so that's the first error to buy into that way of thinking to buy into the kind of confidence that's all about me but the second error is just as serious the second error is allowing our weakness to dominate our thoughts about our life in this world. Now, it may feel like, it may sound like humility on one level, but it's not. It's actually arrogance because it thinks that our weakness is greater than the power of God at work within us. It might seem like low self-esteem, but really it's a lack of faith. And it can be a cop-out too. Because when we are dwelling on these, in in our thoughts on this kind of thing, we can easily be saying subconsciously, I don't really have to attempt anything daring or hard. I can just sort of do the easiest things and, and be humble about it. It's not enough to know our weakness. That's not enough. It's important to know our weakness, but it's not enough. We need to pray to have our eyes opened to the power of God. Remember Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 for the Ephesian believers? And he prays for these three great things to be, to take place. He prays for the Ephesians to have their eyes opened to three realities about them. And the reason he prays for this is because they, these are the three cardinal things that all of us need to have our eyes open to. And one of them is that he prays that we would have our eyes open to the immeasurable greatness Of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He wants our eyes to be opened to God's great power at work toward us. He he prays again in, for the Colossians in chapter one, verses nine and ten, and eleven. We have not ceased prayer to pray for you, asking that you may be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. The power is there, but so often we're blind to it. So often we don't really believe it. So often we're more impressed by our own weakness than we are by Christ's power. You see, a sense of our own powerlessness is an important ingredient in a biblical and godly view of confidence and a biblical and godly view of ourselves. But it must be accompanied by a robust sense of God's mighty power at work in us and through us. Our weakness is a part of our story and a part of our identity. But because of Christ, it's not the end all of our identity or our story. So let's talk for a minute about Christian confidence. One of the words that is in vogue today and, and Is the word swagger people you know they're admired if they have swagger in other words they're so good at something that they can act like they're good at it and still succeed and it's amazing but we we in our contemporary society we actually really love it when someone has swagger if they can if they have the talent to back it up of course we don't especially like people who are full of swagger and have no ability or no capability. But I would suggest that this idea that the world has is, is about as opposite of the idea that God has about confidence in his word. And yet, and yet there is seemingly a sort of godly swagger that is talked about in the scriptures. Think about King uh, David when he faced Goliath. Remember what he said to Goliath? You come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And this day I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That's in 1 Samuel 17 so David had a certain swagger didn't he but it wasn't confidence in himself was it he was confident in the Lord's power at work in and through him and that's the same thing it's what we see in Paul here we have confidence through Christ we're not sufficient in ourselves our sufficiency is from God So there is a certain swagger that is appropriate, but it's not a swagger of pride, it's a swagger of faith and humility. The meltdown I had in my voice uh, a couple weeks ago still hasn't completely gone away, so I'm going to be preventative here. Paul's Christian confidence is very different than the world's confidence or what he calls confidence in the flesh. Philippians in Philippians 3 I have I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gained, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because because of the surpassing worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You see, after Paul met Christ, he no longer placed his trust in his own heritage, in his own devotion, or in his natural powers. Thank you, brother. He says something similar in 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, that is, any of the other apostles, though it was not I but the grace of God that is in me. He now knows that he has an immense reservoir to draw on of infinite grace in God's empowering spirit. Just as Paul's confidence to be an apostle came not from himself, but from the power of God. So our confidence, our confidence to be husbands, our confidence to be wives, our confidence to be fathers and mothers, children, students, church leaders, managers, employers, employees, community leaders, whatever it is that God calls us to be, our confidence must come not from ourselves, but from Christ. Our, you know, one of the great struggles I think that most preachers have on a weekly basis has to do with this. On the one hand, it's a scary thing to get up in front of people. And it's very easy to be all wrapped up in, how am I going to come across? What are people going to think? You know, and be very self-oriented. Even as you're preaching the word of God. So on the one hand, you have the, the danger of being overwhelmed by your own weakness, sense of weakness. And on the other hand, you can fall into the other trap where you think, I can do this, you know. I, I can prepare a sermon. I can give a sermon and people like it. And so you're wrapped up in your own strength. And neither, of course, is what God wants. God doesn't want us all wrapped up in fear the fear of men about how am I going to come across. He wants us to be His spokesman, thinking about His glory, thinking about the welfare of God's people. And yet He also wants us to recognize we can't do anything apart from Him. That, that, you know, from the beginning, from A to Z, the whole process of sermon planning, sermon preparation, and sermon delivery is not something we can do in ourselves. So this is something that is an every day, every week reality in my life, and it is too in yours. Godly confidence to do anything does not come from a sense of self-qualification or ability. It comes from the conviction that because God has called me to do this... He will empower me for the task, even if I feel inadequate myself. That shouldn't put us off if we feel inadequate. Because our adequacy is not in ourselves. It comes from the conviction that God has called me to do it. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God... Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So having godly confidence means realizing that in ourselves we don't have what it takes, but that we can do all things through Christ who calls us to his service. You know, all through this epistle, we see the theme of God's strength... In our weakness. It's one of the main themes of Second Corinthians. Maybe it is the main theme. And here we see it again. Yes, we are weak, very weak. But God is strong. Very, very strong. We don't need to be. No. We must not be intimidated by our weaknesses, by insults, by hardships. We have Christ. And he reigns over every detail of our lives. And he is our helper. We don't need to fear. We don't need to hide. God? Do you think think God is intimidated by our weaknesses? Of course not. Think about Moses. Was God intimidated by Moses' weakness? You know, God appeared to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go tell... The Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses said, "Are you kidding? Do you know? Do you know who who I am? Do you know what I'm like? I, I, I can't talk right. I'm not eloquent." Was God intimidated? It's like, oh, really? I'm, I must have misread your resume. You know, I'll go find someone else. You no, know, God chose Moses, knowing what he was like, knowing that he was weak. In the same way, God chooses fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples. In spite of who they are, their weakness is part of his strategy. You see, God makes fit for service vessels that are completely unfit. And he does it for a reason, because that way he gets the glory. He gets the glory. So you see how silly it is if we're intimidated by our own weakness. I can't do this. Well, that's the whole point. We're supposed to be weak. Because when we're weak, God can be strong. God can glorify himself more when he's using weak, ordinary people like us than when he uses, you know, if God chooses to, to, to use big, intelligent strong, attractive people that that the whole world swoons before, then God doesn't get the glory in the same way. And so we see here the beauty of Christ's strategy to show his power in our weakness and that is the basis for our confidence that we can do what God's called us to do In spite of the fact that we feel like we can't. And now we come to the Lord's Supper. With gratitude and humility. We receive the gift that God has offered to us in Christ. And this is a object lesson. A reenactment of what Christ came to do. For the bread symbolizes his body and the cup symbolizes his blood and here by pouring out the the, uh, wine by breaking the bread we reenact what happened to Christ upon the cross where his body was broken and his blood was spilt and then um, we reenact also what we do with Christ that we don't just see him there and appreciate him but we receive him we take him for ourselves we open ourselves to him by opening our mouth Uh, symbolized by opening our mouth and taking him into us and so let us by faith draw near now and receive Christ not just ceremonially that doesn't ultimately do us any good but in our hearts in our hearts Let us pray. Oh Jesus, you have been so kind and so patient. And we praise you for that. And now Lord, in light of the grace that has been demonstrated in your atoning work on the cross. We want to open our lives to you and welcome you in. Come in, O Lord, and have your way with us. Rearrange us and fix us and realign us and set our hearts where they need to be and our minds according to your truth. And dear Father, meet us, for we need to be near you. For Lord... Our home is not in this world, but our home is with you. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen.